reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter beginning in verse 26. I invite you again to turn in the Bible, whether you brought it yourself or if you would like to use one in the pew, to page 55 in the New Testament as we read these words together. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy, and he will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, who in her own age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me, let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our Advent theme for this year, in case you have missed it, is from generation to generation. The team who works with a sanctified art created this theme because they wanted to highlight how the threads of our individual lives are woven together with the threads of others that are found in this specific faith community. But we also must remember that throughout time and history, we are all connected and we are all working to create a tapestry that spans across generations. We can't know where we are going until we know where we have come from. It is important to acknowledge where we have been so that we can dream about where we are headed and what kind of church we want and need to be as we prepare for the generations that will come after us. Our Advent theme is a reminder that we are part of an important story a part of the tapestry that tells the story of God working in and through us in this particular time and particular place. We've heard two scripture passages read today, ones that I think most of us have heard before. We begin in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, one of the major prophets. 
It is now widely believed that there were three different authors of the book of Isaiah, each from a slightly different time period in the history of the people of God, and each one with a different focus and message for the people of God. The author of the first 39 chapters of Isaiah lived in Jerusalem, and he spoke on God's behalf to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah. Many of the messages that first Isaiah had to deliver were focused on the fact that the people of Israel were rebelling against God and the covenant that they had with God, and that this rebellion would result in God's judgment against them. However, in the midst of these warnings for the people of God about judgment that they would face, we also discover messages of hope that are woven throughout first Isaiah. Isaiah deeply believed that God would one day fulfill all of the covenant promises that God had made. Promises like we read in 2 Samuel 7, where God makes a covenant with David and declares that it will be one of David's descendants who will be the king or Messiah who will establish God's kingdom. Or like the covenant we read in Exodus 19, when God gives the people the Ten Commandments and promises that they will live together in obedience as they follow these ten best ways to live. And all of this was so that God's promise and covenant and God's blessing and salvation could pour out on God's people, just like God promises Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. For generations... God has been making covenants and promises with the people of God. And while God was holding up God's end of the bargain, the people of God weren't always quite as good at holding up theirs. So even in the midst of delivering these warning messages to God's people, Isaiah still had hope that no matter what, God would be faithful. It was because of this hope that Isaiah didn't hesitate to speak out against the corruption that he was seeing in the leaders of Jerusalem. In Isaiah chapter 6, we read about an image that Isaiah uses to describe about what will happen to Israel. Israel will fall like a mighty tree that has been chopped down, and all that will remain is a stump, a tiny remnant of the line of David. Over and over again, Isaiah delivers a message to the leaders of Jerusalem, pleading that they turn from their ways and return to following God, the same God who delivered them from the wilderness and who has stayed faithful throughout all these generations. And over and over again, the leaders in Jerusalem and the people of God ignore these warnings and continue to live their lives in the ways they want to not the ways that God had wished and commanded for them. And still, hope breaks through. Once this judgment has happened and Israel has fallen, God plans to send a new king who will lead a kingdom that will set God's people free from violence and oppression. In the passage that we read from Isaiah 11, God describes this future king as a small shoot that will come out from the stump from what is left of David's line. This new king will be empowered by God's spirit to rule over a new Jerusalem and to bring justice to the poor. All nations will look to this messianic king for guidance. This king will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the kingdom that he will lead will transform all of creation and bring peace to earth. Isaiah 11 highlights themes of hope and the promise of a prince of peace. 
in the midst of fear and uncertainty and even total annihilation and destruction, God still works in and through the impossible in order to bring complete and total peace to earth. Our second passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, which offers a different starting point in the birth narrative than the other Gospels. The beginning of Luke actually begins with another birth being predicted, the birth of John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah the priest and tells the now terrified priest to not be afraid. And Gabriel tells Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth will have a son. Zechariah responds with doubt and wanting proof that this is actually going to happen. And his questioning is met with Zechariah losing the ability to speak until his son is born. When Elizabeth is about six months pregnant, Gabriel makes another appearance, this time in Nazareth to a young woman named Mary. When the angel appears to Mary and calls her favored one, scripture tells us that she was perplexed by this greeting that she, was, that she received. She wasn't a favored one. She was a young girl in a society that favored men and maturity, two things that she never could be or did not have. And by cultural standards, nothing about Mary said that she should be considered favored. But God does not follow cultural or societal standards to fulfill the divine work that God has planned. God chose this particular time and this particular place and this particular woman to fulfill God's covenant, which was made generations before Mary was ever born. While our scripture passage translates Mary's reaction to Gabriel as being perplexed, I can't help but imagine that she was probably also just as terrified by the appearance and the message of Gabriel as Zechariah was. Maybe she didn't express it outwardly, but I don't think it is a coincidence that Gabriel immediately tells her to not be afraid and that he jumps right into explaining the role that she will play in giving birth to this king who is coming to fulfill the promise that God made generations ago. As Gabriel explains in further detail about this child, Mary interrupts and says, in my own words, this is all well and good, except there's just one little detail I'm a little confused on. Mary doesn't just hear what Gabriel says and offer her consent. She presses pause on this divine message and asks what I think is a fairly reasonable question she's been wondering about. She's not afraid to speak her mind. The Mary that I picture in this scene from Luke chapter 1 isn't gentle Mary, meek and mild. Instead, we have a brave and courageous woman who is part of a society where women are expected to be submissive and silent. Nevertheless, she persisted and made sure that her voice was heard. I like to think that maybe God chose Mary to carry the Messiah because of her tenacity and her willingness to interrupt angels and ask them questions. And once Gabriel takes time to explain the mechanics of how this will all play out and reminds Mary that nothing is impossible with God... Only then is Mary comfortable with making a shift from asking, how can this be, to declaring, let it be so. So here we have two passages that when we read them together have a lot to unpack. 
In this passage from Isaiah, the people of God were on the brink of having their lives turned upside down and all of their autonomy taken away when they were forced to enter captivity and exile. There are warnings coming from the mouth of a prophet to stop and turn back, but the people aren't listening. And even while Isaiah is delivering these messages of destruction, he is also offering a message of hope and peace that is woven in. Maybe he's offering these messages of a hopeful future and a peaceful kingdom so that he has something to hold on to. But I imagine that when things got real and the people of God found themselves in some of their toughest, most fear-filled days, it was these glimpses of hope and of a new Jerusalem that carried the people of God through. It was these words that echoed in their minds, do not be afraid. They could rest in the reminder that even in the midst of their deepest fears, God says to them, I have a plan. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. In the Gospel of Luke, Mary is also facing a pretty terrifying journey. Even though she expresses her willingness to carry God's son and raise him as best she can, she also had to be thinking about how this event would impact the rest of her life, even more than just an average woman who was going to be a mother. She was going to be the mother of the Messiah. Gabriel offers the Cliff Notes version to Mary of what her child would accomplish, but there is no possible way that Mary could have known in this exact moment of the Annunciation all that would happen in the life of her child. She knew that he would be great and that he would change the world, but she probably knew deep in her heart that this Annunciation would change everything, not just for her, but for the world in its entirety. And even being chosen as God's favored one is not enough to erase the fear which accompanies change that can turn your world upside down. Throughout Jewish and Christian history, there are events that cause the people of God to stop dead in their tracks and wonder, how can this be? Wars, plagues, exiles, oppression, death, even births, cause the most faithful followers of God to let fear creep in and to begin to set the tone in their life. In our own lives, many of us are faced with fears each and every day. Some fears that are very individual and personal to us, but also some that are fears that we experience as a society or as a culture or as humanity. Things like medical diagnoses, wanting to fit in, the safety of our loved ones as they go out into the world, how do we take care of this earth that has been entrusted to us? Growing older, caring for our mental health, we could each name multiple fears that we carry with us each and every day. But even in the midst of these fears, we see glimpses of hope, like tiny tendrils that emerge from the most unexpected places. Hope has the potential to grow with just the smallest amount of courage. Actress Dorothy Bernard is quoted as saying, courage is just fear that has said its prayers. It doesn't take much for us to shift from living in a place of fear and uncertainty to a place of hope and wonder. When we are facing a situation that we are, insure, we are unsure of, instead of letting fear have the loudest voice, 
We can remember the words that we find in Scripture over and over again that tell us, do not be afraid. When we wonder how in the world we can ever make a lasting change that is for the better of all nature and all humanity, we remember that God promised and delivered a king that we know as Emmanuel, God with us. And we rest in the fact that God is indeed still with us all these generations later. When we are wondering if we should say yes to a call from God, no matter how big or small or whatever it may be, we remember that from generation to generation, faithful people have said yes despite their apprehension. Our ancestors accepted the invitation to place their hope in God and to allow God's peace to quiet their fears. And this is what we are called to do as well. Today, we have lit the candle of peace And we remember that fear is not inevitable, but it is also not impossible. It may feel impossible in the moment when we are experiencing it, but we also know that through God and Christ, everlasting peace is found when God's covenants are truly fulfilled. Through the words of the prophet Isaiah, we see what true, eternal, and everlasting peace can look like the vision of a world where all come together and dwell in harmony, gives us a glimpse at the kingdom of heaven, and it allows us to have something that we are striving for as we work to bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth. Isaiah's words remind us that even something lifeless and finished still has the possibility of bringing forth new life. Mary's story reminds us that it's okay to ask questions and to listen for an answer from God. And these two stories together remind us that hope and peace can always be found when we remember that we are not alone and we do not need to be afraid. We light the candle of peace because we so desperately need God's peace in the midst of all of the fears we face. As we carry these stories in our heart, may we remember that from generation to generation, God meets us in our fear, and yet... Nothing is impossible with God. May it be so. Amen.